This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. It's a new day here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David uh, is our producer and owner of America's Web Radio is here with us today. And we had a good show last week with our friends at Cato, didn't we? David Beer was very entertaining and very interesting. And people can go listen to it on their iPad. And they can download it on their iPad uh, and their iPhone on iTunes and listen to it uh, streaming here on America's Web Radio. Uh, David, you told me you're getting a new website. That's awesome news. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It'll be uh, probably between now and the first of the year. Excellent. Uh, maybe right after the first of the year, depending. But Excellent. Well, maybe when you're, done, when you're done upgrading yours, you can help me upgrade mine a little bit. That uh, I've got a. I, you know, are you the, coding it yourself or uh, in no, your free time? I, <laughs> no, I. Uh, no, I. Uh, you know, I, this is terrible to say, and I hate to admit it, but. Uh, I looked at companies in the U.S., and uh, then I w- came across a uh, very, very good company in Canada. They, they want to work with me. Their, their prices are more than fair, and mm-hmm. I've let them uh, the last oh, four or five months, I guess, they've been keeping my website up to date uh-huh. and, and doing that stuff at a very reasonable price. Excellent. And... Uh, I hated to go out of state, but uh, I couldn't hire anybody freelance. On site, there. of course, yeah. And, uh, and uh, the companies here that wanted to do it uh, were outrageous in price for what I was asking them to do. So, so basically, you're not making America great again. Well, I'm we're just saying. Try. Uh, <laughs> we, we try with all of our uh, good conservative shows. If, and, we, if uh, we could just have a good immigration policies, we could bring those Canadians here and they could do their work here, right? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, they don't want to, but they they, <laughs> uh, they are saying that they uh, they've been very interested in the uh, in the race. But anyway, uh, look forward to getting a new site, and it should have some bells and whistles that uh, the current site doesn't have. So. Well, looking forward to it. Certainly, you can you live stream all the shows, uh, most of the shows on there, and uh, we certainly enjoy having ours live streamed oh, every yeah, single week. Let me throw out one other thing. Uh, besides iTunes, where was Stitchers? Uh, and any number of other, and we're we're with some people I didn't even know we're with. Well, I need to get all the links so we can put them on the Facebook page they, uh, and let everybody know where they can listen to us at. They uh, there's some that just started capturing our uh, feed. So excellent news! That's excellent news. Uh, well, it's good to be with you, and it's uh, uh, it's been a very interesting week, uh, immigration wise and policy wise. We are today two weeks officially from the election, David. As you know, I voted last Tuesday. Uh, last Monday. I, I voted, voted last Thursday. Day. And you voted Thursday. So our votes are in. Uh, and uh, Georgia's early voting um, uh, is at a higher percentage of Republicans than Democrats. But it's only one of three states that is that way, uh, that have done early voting so far. All the other, uh, I think it was North Carolina and Florida, are both actually voting Republicans higher early voting than Democrats. And all the other uh, battleground states are voting more Democrats than Republicans in early voting, which is really, really interesting going forward. Uh, but there's some new early voting that opens up today, and uh, we'll see what happens going forward. Today is Utah's first day of early voting. We'll see how that happens. Uh, David, are you, are you, uh, you have written down my prediction from over a year ago that Hillary would be the president, um, and that was based not because on the fact that I love Hillary, but because we saw Donald Trump rising in the polls, and we just realized it would be a nightmare. Uh, you'll be happy to know, as I was coming here today, I was listening to uh, the radio, and Donald Trump was uh, bringing out all these people saying what a great person he was. They all happen to be employees at Mar-a-Lago, but uh, they were saying what a great person he was, and I just thought it was hilarious. Hey, you work for me? Come over here. Tell him how great I am. Oh, Mr. Trump, he's the best. He's the best employer ever. He should be president. 
Uh, I want to go to a site like Glass Doors and, and look up Mar-a-Lago and see what they say about him behind his back. Uh, or I really should, you know who I wanted to talk about? Talk about immigration, David. You do know that you know Mar-a-Lago is his, his kind of his gem in the South, uh, in the, in Florida, uh, this resort that's only open like six months a year, uh, but he employs a boatload of uh, foreign workers there. Did you know that? Did we talk about that before? Mm-hmm. Uh, he uses the uh, the H two B visa program extensively from uh, for employees from I think Eastern Europe, uh, and uh, it's and it's funny because you know why he says he does that, David? He can't find qualified workers. In the United States, you know, job. you make fun of that, but I don't doubt it. Uh, you know, so I, but I it's the irony that gets too. me, David. I'm not, you know, you know, it's the irony that gets me, David. It's the irony here that's the problem. This is the same guy that says we should stop immigration to America, hmm. and yet he says I can't find qualified workers for my for my resort. Well, you have to ask the question. This is what I hear from the anti-immigration people. Well, why don't you just pay people more? So Donald, why don't you pay people more? And his response is. The government tells me what I have to pay these people. I'm just paying whatever the government says I have to pay them. That's true. For them. I mean, he's not lying about that. So he is actually bringing in foreign workers at the government-mandated wage, which, by the way, is not minimum wage, in case anybody was curious. It was whatever the wage is in Palm Beach for that employment. On the theory, and he's advertised in the paper to show there's no qualified U.S. workers to work at Mar-a-Lago uh, during the season that it's open. Now, isn't that interesting? And yet he wants to say, you, David, if you needed to hire a foreign worker here because, let's say, you couldn't find a qualified uh, 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 co-producer or a qualified uh, board technician, which I believe you do have trouble finding here uh, in Georgia, uh, you, you shouldn't be allowed to go out and hire that person. That person's coming from, let's say, Canada, where you have somebody that's qualified. So I find it really interesting, David, that there is this... Um, this dual standard for the Trumpster, uh, where he can use the immigration process for his resort, but you really, in the future, if he's president, you shouldn't be able to use it for your radio station, or I shouldn't be able to use it for my law firm, or the IT folks down the hallway, they shouldn't be able to use it for their IT guys. I, it's just fascinating that Trump has this literal double standard, and he and nobody in his in his campaign, nobody that supports him, recognizes this. Uh, they, they they think, and it goes back to the adage we talked about, David. I think it was you who actually told me this. Maybe I may be wrong, but the people that support Trump don't believe everything he says, but trust him to do a better job. People that oppose Trump actually believes everything he says and don't trust him to do the stuff he says he's going to do. So there's this weird dichotomy in the campaign here uh, going forward. That I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to, how to address in the context of um, uh, the the campaign and in the election. Uh, Hillary is um, also not great on this. In fact, David, there was a really interesting point that Hillary made in the uh, last debate. Um, what did you think of the last debate, by the way? I mean, you, I know you watched it, at least a little bit of it. Um, do you think Donald won? Do you think uh, Hillary won? Or did you just go to bed? I went to bed. <laughs> um, do you ever watch any of the Saturday Night Live skits? No. Oh, my gosh, David. At least for entertainment purposes, you should watch that because they're both very funny, uh, both on Hillary's part and on Trump's part. But I think they brought out a really interesting point. One of the things Hillary said in the debate was in, in her first 100 days of office on immigration, she would introduce a bill and work towards a solution 
on immigration reform. Something very different than Obama promised four years ago and eight years ago. And he promised he would enact immigration reform. Hillary has not promised that she would enact immigration reform, probably because Hillary doesn't really care about immigration reform. She doesn't really care that something if something's fixed. Uh, I think she, in many ways, wants to be president just to be president. And frankly, and I'll go back to the old standard, if the GOP had nominated virtually anybody else, you and I would be talking about the demise of the Democratic Party today. Um, but you get what you pay for, I guess. Uh, and I'm not uh, sure you're dead on with that as it is. You, you think Trump's going to come back and win this election? I think there may be some big surprises. Wow. Very big. I, I, you know, if Trump won the election, David, that actually would be a big surprise. You're, you're going to move to Ecuador, huh? No, no, I'm not moving to Ecuador. I would never move to Ecuador. I'd move anywhere. I'd move to Peru. No, I think that it would be, um, um, uh, I would say the election would be rigged. <laughs> think about this, David. Trump has put zero money, essentially, into his ground game. And what I mean by that... The people that get up on election morning and get people out to vote that day. Trump, to date, has put zero money into the operation. He has, of numbers I was looking at, 20% of the people employed by the organization that the Clinton campaign. I mean, Clinton has like 850, and Trump has somewhere in the neighborhood of like 200 or 150 that are employed by the campaign. Now, it's one thing to run a, an efficient business, on the least number of employees doing the most amount of work. But a campaign is very different from a business because you are spread out around the United States. And if you have, you know, four people in Utah, for example, to motivate people to go out and vote on Election Day, what are you going to get, a couple hundred people out of that? But if you're in Florida and you have 200 people out there in every corner of the state, you'll be able to vote, that will literally, literally come up to thousands of votes. And I'll give you a great example, and I was watching this last night. New Jersey, 1981. Um, it was an election uh, right after Reagan won in a landslide, uh, what I would consider a landslide, um, in 1980. Keeping in mind, Reagan was behind two weeks before the election. You know, you remember that just as well as anybody else. I, I voted for Reagan. Uh, you know, I remember that. I was my uh, freshman year of college. I was actually in Utah at the time, but I voted. Uh, I voted absentee in New York. And it was a, uh, it was, oh my gosh, Reagan's going to lose to Carter. Or we, you know, what, what was the percent, what was the interest rate under Carter at the time? It was like, it's like 18% of some crazy percentage. You think, oh my God, it's going to continue like this. We got to, and we're going to lose. And then Reagan uh, came from behind. And you know what propelled Reagan to come from behind and win that election? The debate, which was, if I recall, two days before the election. Probably the last time the Democrats ever agreed to a debate two weeks before, two days before an election. It couldn't be more than three days, right? Do you, do you recall the time? It was really close to the election. And people realized, oh, my God, this Reagan guy got, got it together, and Carter is just, like, clueless on a lot of this stuff. And it just cost Carter the election. But the next year in New Jersey, there was an election uh, between a Democrat and Republican. And, and as you know, New Jersey has been historically Democrat since the beginning of time. Uh, and yet... That election was decided in an off year by the amount of ground game the GOP threw a ton of people, literally hundreds of people into that state. And Tom Keene won that election statewide by 1,500 votes. 1,500 votes. 
Now, there were accusations of, uh, of uh, uh, voter intimidation, etc. But think about it. The big reason he won, though, in a, in a year in which, t- in any year typically that a Democrat would have won that state, was because of voter turnout and getting the people that would vote for him out to the polls. And when you look at this, that's what Trump needs in states like North Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. And he literally doesn't have the bodies to make that happen. Now, what if he could use H-2B workers to do that? Just kidding, David. They're not going to bring H-2B workers in to do that. But if they had bodies out there, they could move people. They could get people to the polls. And that's, that's just not happening. And that's why, while I think you may be, there may be a big surprise out there, I think the big surprise rather is how big Trump loses rather than, how much he, rather than whether he wins or not. Um, there's just too much... Too much going against him without there being some sort of you know late October surprise from WikiLeaks. But thinking about these WikiLeaks stuff, David, it, it, you know what's come out so far? Stuff that you had seen any campaign between. In fact, Bernie came out yesterday and said, "Yeah, I've seen all that stuff about me. Good thing my stuff hasn't come out. My nobody's cracked into my stuff yet because I think people find pretty similar stuff in my campaign's information." Um, I, I am just curious, though, that as we move forward on on the immigration aspects of what Hillary does, as she gets elected, uh, as she puts forward a plan which will be written by uh, people like me uh, who understand immigration law, whether there's going to be any movement in, in the House, which will remain Republican despite what Democrats fantasize about, and whether it will move in what could be still Republican or very, very close Senate, where it might be 50-50, it might be 51-49, either way. Uh, and if you've got a uh, Vice President um, uh, um, Kane breaking the vote regularly in the Senate, I think you're going to have uh, pretty much a, a dead Senate for the next two years. But if that happens, if Republicans obstruct for two more years in the Senate because it's so close, I think you're going to see another a, a big problem in, in the, in the uh, 2018 midterms. Let's take a break, quick break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano, o tiene problemas con inmigración, o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com. 
the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the America's Web Radio Immigration Hour. Dave and I were talking offline about something I actually thought about last night because a friend of mine put it on his Facebook page, and that was Obamacare. Um, David, in the context of immigration, we've talked about previously Obamacare, where uh, undocumented immigrants are not allowed to participate in the exchanges, and they're not allowed to get um, the, uh, uh, the subsidy. But would it bring down prices if they could participate in the exchanges without the subsidy? That's really the question. Because one of the reasons is I am... Now, I'm not an insurance expert. David, are you an insurance expert? I'm not an insurance expert either. Okay, but my understanding of how insurance works, generally speaking, is you and I both buy a policy. And you let's say we buy life insurance, David. Now, you're, you're slightly older than me. Now, you will pay more for life insurance than I will. Why? Because you have a higher risk of dying sooner than I, than I do. Let's say that insurance policy is valid until you're 75. Now, David, you're a lot closer to 75 than I am. And you, you have a higher risk of dying before 75. So basically, I'm betting my ability to get life insurance uh, or be protected that you will not die before that time frame. And you are betting that I will not die before that time so that your policy can still be effective and pay out because they wouldn't have paid mine out by the time you pay yours out. So we pay differing rates depending on age. And the younger you are for life insurance, the cheaper your rates are going to be, generally speaking, uh, health otherwise. Now, for health insurance, you know, as I understand health insurance, the healthier the people in the insurance, generally speaking, in the plan, the cheaper the plan should be because healthy people, younger people, tend not to use their insurance. So my understanding of how Obamacare was supposed to work in this weird Romney-esque hybrid program is that we were going to we have mandated participation by everybody, right? Because if you don't if you don't participate, you get a fine. You're, you're you're better at this than I am, David. So you get you get a bill from the IRS. Hey, you're not enrolled, and you have to file to file a form with your tax return to show you're enrolled. And if you don't do that, you get fined by the IRS. Isn't that how it works? And so, and the reason behind that was they want everybody enrolled in Obamacare, but. If the fine is less than the cost of actually enrolling in the healthcare system and you don't feel you need health insurance, then it makes no economic sense to enroll in the plan. So as a result, you have people who aren't enrolling in plans who the sicker people need to have enrolled in the plans to keep the cost of insurance down. So you have a system that makes no economic sense whatsoever. Um so there's only, but at the same time, Americans love a couple of the big changes that were mandated by Obamacare into their insurance plan. One, covering their kids till they're 26. Parents love that. Kids love that. Okay? They love that. Insurance companies don't love that. Why? Because they're not getting really any extra premiums on these kids uh, at a level they could be participating if they had to buy plans themselves. And the other was pre-existing conditions. No plan can deny you for a pre-existing condition that had to cover you. And before this happened, David, I know from personal experience, having changed plans when my daughter was very, very ill as a young child, that I had to pay COBRA before she was covered for a year and a half under her before she was covered under my new plans. So I was paying for two health insurances. So now people did they did away with that. So you had to be if so you changed insurances, you changed jobs, they had to keep covering you, or they had to cover you under your new plan. If you take those two things away, one, people are going to be very upset. 
because people want those two things. So people, if Americans want two things that cost insurance companies money, then what's the trade-off on the back end? This idea that you would mandate people to enroll in the plans because that makes it more affordable for insurance companies. But the fault lies in, near as I can tell, I'm not an expert on it. You have experts on, on your show, on, on your program, on your TV, on your radio show all the time here. But the problem appears to be that the for the insurance companies, people would rather pay the fine or haven't even had to pay the fine, right? Until this year is the first year the fine comes to be. Haven't even had to pay the fine until this year. So the pain hasn't started yet. So they've missed out on all the people that should be buying into the plans that are not. So the insurance companies are losing money, supposedly. And yet, <laughs> if you go to the stock exchange, these companies don't appear to be losing money. Now, that's interesting. Uh, should, in cor- should insurance companies be for profit? Should they be for profit? That's, I mean, it's not a better question to ask. Um, now, some aren't. I don't, is Blue Cross Blue Shield for profit? Okay, I didn't mean, I know they kind of, like the Red Cross, they're not for profit, but in fact, they are for profit. So the bigger question is, should those types of entities in which we all depend, I mean, we all want insurance, uh, we all want the ability not to go broke in the hospital if we get sick, should those actually be for profit? Should hospitals be for profit? I mean, that's an interesting question. There's a lot of hospitals that are not for profit, right? I don't think Children's Hospital here in Georgia, the Shriners are not for profit. Do you get worse care at those hospitals than you do at a for-profit hospital? I don't think so. I think you get just as good a care at either one of them. The doctors are pretty much the same. Doctors practice at all the different hospitals. Um, so if, is there something out there that would enable us to cover everybody? And here we have immigrants in the solution. 11 million people. Most of them relatively younger, certainly under under fifty, the vast majority. Many of them very healthy, most of them working, and yet none of them being allowed, not 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 doing it, but literally not being allowed to buy into the system, even if they have work permits, barred from buying into the system, so they can still get health insurance, either through their employer. Now I'm talking about the exchanges, right? Because health employers are separate. Obamacare, these rate increases, these are not rate increases from me and my insurance with my company. That's a separate price increase, okay? That's whatever that happens to be. That's between me as the employer and the insurer. These are Obamacare insurance policies, which impact somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 13 million, 15 million people, a very small part of the American population. Uh, But people that could buy into it to reduce the cost... And thus increase the profits of the healthcare companies of, of the of the of the insurance companies are being barred from doing so. Why? What is the? Is there an economic justification? No, clearly not. Economically, it makes no sense whatsoever. Is there a moral reason to do that? No. Morally, you'd want people who are sick to have insurance. So there must be a political reason. So politics. You draw this line, if they had 11 million more people in these plans, or 5 million more people in these plans that were generally healthy, I think you'd see a lot less of a rate increase. Because that money would be going in and wouldn't necessarily be coming out. And further, you'd also see a drop-off in the use of emergency rooms by undocumented people, 
when they're sick because that is the current health care system for the undocumented and super poor people. It's the emergency room. All right. So there's this real conundrum here where politically we say, no, we don't want to reward undocumented immigrants by letting them have health care. We'd rather have them suffer, but they're not going to suffer. They're going to go to the emergency room where care is monumentally more expensive than it is through an affirmative insurer plan. In any of your shows, David, do they talk about this, the fact that undocumented immigrants are barred from participating in the plans? And what do they say? I'm just curious. Tune into some of the shows. <laughs> they must say something about this. I'm, I'm just curious because if Obamacare is this nightmarish, horrible thing destroying America, but it's really doing that because the insurance companies insist they're not making enough money, then one, why are they for profit? Or two, why are we barring people from participating that could make them more profitable and thus reduce premiums? I mean, that, that, that's a conundrum that nobody's explained to me. I mean, I know why they were barred. I know why documents were barred. Because it's a punishment. Because at the time, that was the trade-off to get Obamacare passed. When they were negotiating Obamacare with Republicans, which ended up having no Republican vote for it, so they really didn't... They, they didn't. So what you end up having is an Obamacare that is not what Senate Dems wanted in its, in its full... Because having undocumented immigrants in it was part of the plan. But it exists because they tried to negotiate to get some Republicans on board... And they thought by throwing a bone like this out there would do it, and it didn't happen, and they ended up voting on a plan that was full of Republican ideas that may have hurt it, may have helped the plan, may have hurt the plan, but which no Republican voted for. So, I mean, I'm waiting for the GOP to come up with an actual plan that brings premiums down. Now, one thing I will give Donald Trump credit for, I know nobody's ever heard me say this before, and Rubio made fun about him about this. It's about the lines, because Trump doesn't know how to express himself. When he's talking about the lines, companies in Georgia that give health care insurance here are barred from offering Alabama citizens the same insurance. Because each state is his own little territory for each insurance company. Can you explain why that's the case? I mean, that's truly anti-competitive. But insurance call, companies wanted it that way. Call follow the money. But insurance companies wanted it that way. Which Why do they want it that way? Because they make more money that way. Because it's it reduces monopoly. competition. It reduces competition. Exactly. Now, there aren't just two companies in America offering health insurance. There's lots of health insurance companies out there, David. Tons of insurance companies out there. But in your state, there may only be one or two. Are there uh, other people that would almost, want to... Uh, it's almost a crime that uh, what Blue Cross Blue Shield did in, in uh, Georgia... Oh, you only I agree. had two companies yeah. that, uh, and uh, they basically put uh, United Healthcare. Well, they did. They got them out of. Georgia, they, kicked them out, they kicked them out of here. They yeah. kicked them out because I was I was on United Healthcare. Yeah, no. I'm on Humana now. So there's Humana and Blue Cross Blue Shield. Uh, and it's uh, uh, you, you look at that and you go that uh, Trump is right on that one, you know. And a lot of this, of course, goes back to George Bush's. Um, you know the the the. the the drug prescription plan, which made drugs actually more expensive and less expensive than they were supposed to do, which then bleeds into Obamacare, which bleeds into whatever Hillary is going to do it. Um, now, if Hillary uh, destroys Obamacare, does it become Hillary Care? I'm just curious. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what she wanted uh, many years ago. And she, 
Well, she no, what she wanted many years ago was yeah. universal health care. That's different from Obamacare. She wants a one-payer system. Right, one-payer system. Right. Uh, and you think about a one-payer system, which, you know, large chunks of the industrial world have. Um, Gee, could we trust her to do that? I wonder who would pay her off to get... Well, here's what's weird. Trump wants a one-payer system. That's what Trump wants. That's what he talked about before he ran for president, was a one-payer system. Let's take a break here on America's Web Radio and the Immigration Now. We'll be right back. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Dave, it's great to be back with our listeners today. Appreciate all those listening to the, you know, one of the most popular uh, immigration podcasts in the known universe, David. Uh, we doing good on downloads these days, people listening to us, David. And there's many that we don't know about. We don't know what Stitcher's got. We don't know what, really what's out there on the show, do we? Not, uh, well, we get a pretty good idea just because of the, the files that have to be pulled. Okay. Uh, we're doing, it's doing well. We're doing okay. That's great. Well, David, there's a poll that came out from the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. That found, quote, an overall majority of Americans, 58%, said that illegal immigrants currently working in the U.S. should be allowed to stay and pursue a path of citizenship. Now, here's what's even more interesting. The most recent Fox News poll finds that 74% of all respondents say we should give illegal immigrants a path to legal status. Only 18% want to deport as many as possible. Now, this is, um, this is really interesting. Um, anti-immigration outfits like the Federation for American Immigration Reform and Conservatives who spout its made-up facts represent a small minority of voters. A Fox News poll says that 74% of everybody, every voter across the line, favors a path to some sort of legal status, which I've been, you know, as you know, you and I have talked for years about this. Um, Trump talked about this during the debate. Now, in the debate, Trump did say this, okay? As far as moving um, these people out and moving, we either have a country or we don't. We're a country of laws. We either have a border or we don't. But then he said, once they're out, they can come back. 
People are like, what? They can come back? Well, not under current law they can't, because once they leave, they can't come back for 10 years. That's the current bar. And then Trump, the other day, after that, I think it was the day after the debate, said something else very interesting. He essentially said uh, that, yeah, let's get the first 2 million bad people out. There's a magic 2 million. There's not that many, but 2 million bad people out. And then we'll look at stuff. So he's really ameliorating his stance, this idea that immigration and undocumented immigrants must be kicked out of the country has been ameliorated a little bit by Trump in his speeches. And then I think the biggest take back of all was happened yesterday. The day before yesterday, maybe it was yesterday. This is what he said. The wall, we'll have to pay for that. But we're going to make Mexico reimburse us. That's a little bit different from what he was saying before. I wonder how many of his supporters like him now. Uh, so you see Trump, I mean, if he had said this stuff six months ago, I think he's in a very different position politically than he is today. Uh, either he is running the most politically astute campaign in U.S. history, or this is the worst presidential campaign in American history. It's one of the two. Because he's either going to sneak up on us and win this, or he's going to get completely trounced. In electoral, not, I mean, not necessarily in, in poll numbers, but in electoral numbers. Now, here's what's interesting. So Trump has said that. Hillary, on the other hand, said this. It completely, Hillary, they are meticulous in their planning. When he taunts her for preparing, this is what you get when you prepare. Quote, I don't want to rip families apart. I don't want to be sending parents away from children. I don't want to see the deportation force that Donald has talked about in action in our country. We have 11 million undocumented people. They have 4 million American citizen children, 15 million people. You know, it means you would have to have a massive law enforcement presence where law enforcement officers would go to school to school, home to home, business to business, round people up who are undocumented, put them on trains, on buses to get them out of the country. I think that is an idea that is not in keeping with who we are our nation, and I think it's an idea that would rip our country apart. That's what you get when you prepare for a debate. Instead of the crazy talk of Donald Trump, when you get when you're playing Parcheesi two days before the debate, you know when your main debate preppers are Rudy Giuliani, who knows nothing about this stuff, and just apparently now a crazy old man. So this idea that Trump literally ran on uh, um, this idea that um, you can deport your way out of a problem. Trump appears to be backing away from it, David. Uh, And I think as more press is focused on his backing away from his deportation force, backing away from building the wall in Mexico, paying for it, backing away from uh, deporting people and their kids, backing away from birthright citizenship, where you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen, as we fought a civil war over that issue. Um, All those things, I think, weaken his support among people that would normally support him. And I'm just curious, because what they, people are going to learn is that Donald Trump is not a Republican. And Donald Trump is not a conservative. He's not a social conservative. He's not an economic conservative. This is the same guy who thought a single payer was a really good system a few years ago. Okay? Who, you know, he never told us what his plan would be to replace Obamacare, although it will be really great. It'll be the best plan ever. It'll be Trump-esque in its planification. Although I can't tell you what it is now because it's a secret. 
Um, looking at this idea of what uh, what Trump is now talking about in immigration is uh, it's fascinating to see the change, to see the literal moving of it, in the middle of a campaign of what was his key first most important part of uh, of his campaign. It's just it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, and but you see the rhetoric um, that Donald has talked about, and his anti, his aunt, what is, has been up until this point a very anti-immigration rhetoric, and you see it really divide people. You see it move people apart. For example, this idea of sanctuary cities. Is Sandy Springs a sanctuary city? No. no. Is Atlanta a sanctuary city? I don't think so. Uh, this has become another one of those buzzwords that you take and you give a meaning to and then you apply it to something or somebody and they become that when there's no basis or factual basis in reality. One of the things I love doing on my Facebook page, David, is writing facts. They're important. Um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a former senator from, uh, from New York, uh, once famously said, you're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Facts are what they are. You know? And when you look at what a sanctuary city is, is this a sanctuary city? The city says, we refuse to recognize ICE holds, which are volu- federal voluntary holds from ICE, to hold somebody for 48 hours in our custody, in our jails, under this document. Is that a sanctuary? If you recognize that, when every federal court who has looked at these holds has said, one, they're not mandatory, and two, they are unconstitutional. And in every state where a federal judge has found them to be unconstitutional... It's completely legal and completely appropriate for the city to say, we're not going to hold anybody because if we hold somebody under one, un, that's not a convicted felon, okay, in which you have a right to deport, if you're just investigating somebody who was arrested, we can be held liable once they paid that bond for false imprisonment. And we refuse to do that. That's, that's what they're saying a sanctuary city is, David. That's not a sanctuary city. That's a city who doesn't want to pay damages to people who are unlawfully held in jail. Uh, because ICE is certainly not going to set them up and write those things out there. And so you have a situation where communities are being really, you know, torn apart. No sanctuary city um, uh, for, uh, for people. And yet, when you call people what a sanctuary city, the reality is it's not a sanctuary city if all they're doing is obeying the law. Once again, Donald gets into rhetoric, and he labels people. He labels things. He labels communities. He labels cities. And at the end of the day, what do you end up getting? You end up getting a uh, a, a a people pitted against each other, and say you are protecting criminal, undocumented immigrants, city, by not handing them over to ICE. When David, if ICE really wanted these people. What would they do? They would go down to the jail and pick them up right away. Every, For example, every city in Georgia, every county in Georgia, has a line directly to ICE. And every city and county in Georgia checks the immigration status under the SAVE system of everybody that comes in. 
and they notify ICE when somebody comes in. So what do you need to hold for? ICE should just be, hey, we paid the bond, come get them. But they can't hold them. The guy beats them to the door. That's just the way it is. So station ICE officers in every jail if you really want to do it right. But this idea that you become a sanctuary city because you refuse to recognize unconstitutional administrative orders is simply not that. It's simply not that. Um, I uh, I want to go back a little bit, David, to uh, Mar-a-Lago only because it was just it was just weird listening to these employees this morning. Oh, Mr. Trump's the best employer. I love Mr. Trump. Thank you, Jose, for coming out here and saying I'm the best employer as he slipped a $20 bill in his pocket. But when Trump is at this club, for example, he hires on these H-2Bs from abroad despite youth unemployment in that county exceeding 15%. Every year he hires 70 to 90 guest workers through the H-2B program. He brings these workers in at $10 to $12 an hour, which is the rate, while local job placement banks are flush with hundreds of job seekers that want those jobs. Why does Donald do this? Why does he do this? Because he makes money on this. He makes money on this. Um, it also avoids unions from coming into it, coming into his property at that point. Because if you had all U.S. workers there, you'd probably be unionizing. Now, one other thing, David, you may have heard about the debate is a new phrase coined by Donald Trump called bad hombres. Or actually, he said it, bad hombres, as if they were a bunch of hungry people. Hombre means to, to have hunger, uh, to be hungry. Uh, so bad hombres coming into America. Again, another one of these myths. But again, here's a study from the Pew Research Center. 71% of Republicans believe that immigrants make crime and the economy worse, while only 34% of Democrats say the same thing. But facts are facts. Um, so if you if you talk about the facts on this, you will see that immigrant communities have far lower crime rates. First and second generation immigrants have far lower conviction and crime rates than U.S. citizens. It's just that's just fact. I mean, you can't you can argue with it, I guess, but these aren't statistics. These are just literally facts. Numer- numbers being counted up. Uh, and as we as we look at that, as we analyze uh, the this this dichotomy between Republicans who think immigrants are all bad with Democrats who recognize look there's some bad they're good but we should we see immigration as a net positive how do we how do we reconcile these two these two thought processes who is there out there that can reconcile these things it's certainly not Donald Trump it's certainly not Hillary Clinton um, is it Paul Ryan or is Paul Ryan done is he a speaker for this term and he'll not get reelected? Uh, I know people that think, much like you do, would love to see Paul Ryan gone. But who would you put in his place? How could you be more or less effective? Who would who who could you get him? All, all of the um, of the Republicans to vote for because at the, this election, what ends up happening at this election is you are going to have about two hundred and twenty-five the 220 seats held by Republicans. And you're going to have 210 seats held by Democrats. The Democrats are going to vote in block. 
The GOP is not. So it's going to be really interesting. Immigration is going to tear a lot of this apart. Let's be, take a break and come back for our final segment here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano, o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar ¿Qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración? Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet al www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, welcome back to the America's Web Radio Immigration Hour, the best immigration show on America's Web Radio. No question. About no question about that, right? Uh, better than all the other immigration shows on this uh, on this show, on this radio station. Um, David, there's an interesting thing going on. I was at a meeting in Memphis over the weekend. I was with some Canadian immigration lawyers, and uh, they're doing something very interesting in Canada. They are actually increasing their rates of immigration by fifty percent in order to fuel growth in Canada. Now, if Canada's doing it, Canada looks a lot like us, by the way, uh, why don't we do that? How, how can you say they look a lot like us? You don't think the Canadians look a lot like us? As a country? Economically? I mean, they're, like, they're a tenth the size of us, but they look a lot like yeah, us well, as far as dem- demographic makeup. A tenth the size makes a lot of difference. Why? You know, and uh, what if Canada's doing anything right... Why do so many Canadians save their bucks to come to the United States for medical services? Do you know how many Americans go to Canada for medical treatment? You don't hear about those because they're not on the radio down here. I don't hear of it. I do. My friend, my Canadian immigration lawyer's friend, tell me all the time. You know, again, this is facts, what you hear about. Yeah, there are some Canadians that come down here for medical treatment. Lots of Americans move up there for medical treatment, too. I mean, that's the interchange between the two countries is, is phenomenal. It's good. Uh, there's always a place for private medical care, which is what we have in the United States. Canada does not offer private medical care. Um, but again, going to the issue of immigration, they want to bolster immigration to bolster growth. 
because they realize that immigration bolsters growth. It's just a fact. More immigration doesn't negate growth. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting to see. Uh, I will tell you, David, in the number of Canadians that I deal with that have coming to America has shrunk dramatically in the last five or six years. There are far fewer Canadians coming to the United States for immigration purposes and life purposes than they had in the first 20 years of my practice. It's really fascinating to watch this big difference uh, in uh, in the process and, and, and people as they, they move back and forth. And Canada is um, uh, poised for another boost in its economy. This is a country that is that has actually been dependent on oil for the last few years, but which is now diversifying its economy in a way so that the shale oil doesn't run everything. And I, it's it's really fascinating to watch. Uh, a good friend of mine, she's an immigration lawyer in Canada, in, in Toronto, and her business is booming because people are moving to Canada from the U.S., from the U.K., from all over the world because they see economic development and economic opportunity that they don't see in other countries. Uh, part of the reason we're not seeing it here is our immigration laws are stifling economic growth. They're stifling investment. They're stifling development. They just don't allow in the people that we need here to grow our economy. And they let people in that aren't necessarily going to grow our economy. You know, I love the fact that you can immigrate your mom and dad. But when you bring in your 70-year-old mom and dad here, they're not helping the economy. You're bringing your brother or sister here after they waited 25 years. Are you really helping the economy? Well, we could be better using those numbers for things like economic development, investors, businesses employing people. Again, once again, we look at a broken immigration system that is not doing its best for the United States. I've long advocated, David, that immigration should be in the economic and societal interest of the United States. And we've been historically, since 1965, a very family-focused immigration process. Uh, where we bring in 90% of the people coming in are family-based immigrants. When we really could be looking at economic-based immigrants, employment and investment in ways that will really throw our economy into the next gear uh, and take us from the great country to we, we are to the greatest country that we can be. But if we don't do that, if we don't keep inviting the best and brightest here, keeping them here after they graduate from our colleges and universities, we're going to fall behind other countries eventually. And that is a direct result of our immigration process. Um, so here's what um, – I want to go back to something Trump said in the debate the other night. Uh, deporting migrants who commit crimes is already American policy. Last year, 91% of the people deported from the interior of the U.S. had criminal convictions. Now, some of those were tra- traffic – many of them were traffic violations or minor convictions. Trump said something fascinating. Quote, is the other night. First time I heard a Republican, if he's really a Republican, acknowledge this. Under Obama, quote – Millions of people have been moved out of this country. They've been deported. That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, Hillary said, I want to put our resources where I think they are most needed, getting rid of any violent person, anybody who should be deported. Um, So here you have Trump saying, hey, I just want to do what Obama's been doing. Okay, maybe you should say that. Because the impression you're giving people is you're going to pick up everybody and their kids out of their homes, schools, and businesses, walk them to the border and send them across their way without realizing that that's less than 50% of the undocumented population. How are you going to get everybody else uh, out there? A better article was this one, which I found fascinating as I read it. How much does Trump care about immigration? Really? Really? Because he's used it as a tool 
to bring anti-immigrants to his to his to his party. But does he really care? Now, a 15 minutes were allotted to immigration in the debate the other night. Trump basically said, "I'll look at it." You know, you know, he basically largely ignored his own policy. Um, and as Trump does this, as he as he as he moves away from immigration as a policy, it feels like he's reprising and rel- quote relishing his greatest hits from the primaries, than like he's prosecuting the case for a grave shift in national policy. At a critical moment on the debate last Wednesday night, it looked like Trump cared less about his signature issue than he did about the implication that he was soft on Putin, which slighted his ego. Precisely because of this kind of equation of the personal and the political, the range of possibilities in a Trump presidency could be wider than with any president in living memory. Trump was supposed to be the candidate who could change the conversation on immigration. For nationalist superfans like Anne in Trump We Trust Coulter, this was Trump's first and biggest selling point. For mainstream figures like Mickey Kaus, who are more aware of his flaws, the prospect of breaking up with the status quo immigration consensus was put, made putting up with the rest of the worthwhile. And millions of Americans, well, somewhere in between the two, agreed. You have to wonder how they feel about his failure in such a subject when the spotlight was brightest. So there are many people now thinking that Trump is not even serious about immigration at all. And that if, in fact, he makes things happen, if he does things uh, while he's president, that he will, in fact, not do what he said he would do as President of the United States on immigration. Uh, And as a result, you get a situation where nothing happens on immigration for the next four years under either president. Now, David, we've got two more weeks before the election. Two weeks from today, people are going to the polls. And two weeks from tonight, at about midnight, we will know who the next President of the United States is. Um, We also know whether Donald Trump concedes or whether he claims the election was rigged and will challenge it state by state. What's odd about that, David, is that Trump doesn't seem to know that there are automatic recall provisions, uh, recount provisions in virtually every state these days. So if an election is close enough, and I think it's 0.5% or is it 1%, I forget which one it is in most states, there's an automatic recount. Now, for Trump, that means he's got to get within that margin to have an automatic recount. Without a ground game, without bodies on the ground, without money being spent, he's not going to get there. I heard him lamenting the other day, I will continue to re- consider it a failure if I'm not president because I've spent, I will have spent $100 million of my own money in this. I thought he was going to self-fund his whole campaign anyway. And we know campaigns cost a billion dollars. Hillary has outraised him. A Democrat has outraised a Republican almost two to one. Almost two to one, David. This is, this is why he is the worst candidate possible for the GOP. And I wonder, David, what will happen going forward to my beloved GOP? Is it even a national party after this election? Is it a regional party? Is it a minority party with the rise of a third party, the Trump party? Uh, uh, or a tea, or tea Party actual break-off from the GOP, such that in Congress, Congress will begin to take sides and say, I am in the GOP or I am in the Trump party. And we will see that they will then lose control of the House. This is why part of their problem is many of them would love to start their own more conservative, more out-there party, but don't 
Because if they do that, the Democrats will control the House of Representatives immediately. Because while the Democrats may have a split between conservative Democrats and progressives, they are nowhere near the separation problem that the Republicans are looking at going forward. Uh, so there we go. There, that's kind of our show for this week. We've got a, we got a little bit um, of uh, of a uh, of an anticipation for the uh, uh, for the uh, election. Uh, both candidates are in Florida today, so if you want to see, you know, where they are in immigration, where they are on attracting Latino voters, take a look at that. But Latino vote, while, while Democrats are voting at a little bit lower rate than Republicans in Florida, Latino vote is up 99% in Florida. That's a problem for Donald. Because we know he's got a huge problem with Latinos. Unless, David, that's all old Cuban men... I think Donald is looking at a, a wipeout in Florida um, come election day. But again, you know that I know that we're not going to count our chickens before they're hatched. And if Donald is the president of the United States, David, we will stand proudly by his side for his only term he will ever serve uh, and hope he doesn't destroy America during those four years and do our best to ensure that Congress is uh, working to keep America safe from what could only be then described as a gilded presidency. The gilded era, we'll call this, of American politics. So until next week, this is Charles Cook. I'm the host of the Immigration Hour. If you have any questions or issues you'd like us to address, or if you'd love to be on our program, feel free to contact me at chuck at or call me at 404-949-8154. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, this is Charles Cook, the host of the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.